Hey, all, this is Brett. Last weekend, Rob and I went down to Delaware to interview three progressive candidates for office, which is what you're about to hear. Now, while you're listening to this, I want you to keep in mind why Delaware is important and why their elections are something that you should contribute to if you're at all capable of it. First off, Delaware is a small state, which means grassroots donations and contributions, either time or money, have an outsized impact. It is actually feasible for all of these candidates to knock on almost every single constituent uh, that they'd be representing. So that is huge. It could really level the playing field between normally what happens, which is big money crushes everybody. This is a state in which there's really not that big of a gap between the big money and the grassroots candidate if we assist them. So keep that in mind. Two, Delaware state politics, for reasons that require a whole separate episode to explain, are nationally important when it comes to corporate law and the way corporations take advantage of the rest of us, quite frankly. If you're unsure what I'm talking about, take a look at literally any credit card bill you've ever gotten. Uh, note what state that comes from. So keep that in mind while you're listening. There are links to donate that I will have both in the episode notes and I'll be tweeting them out and I'm going to hit them up frequently. You can go to one link for all three because they're progressives. They're actually working together. It's inspiring stuff. Um, but without further ado, here's the episode. Thanks, all. I'm saying I wish in 2000 Nancy Pelosi was still NCAA eligible so she could have gone on in Hope Solo's place and blocked. <laughs> and she could have blocked off. She could have stopped the goal. And then she could have taken the jersey off yeah, and been yeah. on the front of Wheaties. But it would have been Nancy yeah. Pelosi. <laughs> that would have been something for sure. That was, that was Hope Solo, wasn't it? I think yes. it was mm, no, it's, it's, Brandy it's, Chastain. Are you, I feel like Brandy, well, no. Oh wait, see if no. Brandy Chastain is the one who made the goal and ripped her jersey. No, off. she's the one in Interstellar, I think. <laughs> America, she cries because <laughs> her dad. <laughs> I like that your world. You're, is you're like the only of people Amy in your world Adams. are people who are Nancy Pelosi and people on the women's soccer team. I'm sorry, people and say that about like me all the time. That the only that the only people seen. in my life are Nancy Pelosi and the US <laughs> national women's team. Who you can't really identify. That's uh, I've got enough. I'm happy living in my bubble where these are the two <laughs> right, things that all right, matter. All right. Not enough to get their names right, but enough. And enough eight. to like feel excited when they win. I'm excited. On that. I'm excited for all of them. Yeah. Uh, the empowering one. The empowering one, the empowering one, Hope Solo, the empowering one. <laughs> yeah, but, oh that's man. my life. So which one do you have in a jersey? Like empowering one? Oh, probably uh, Megan Rapino. There it is. Do I pronounce correctly every single time? Yeah, I've never ever called you out and on that before. I, I took some duct tape underneath the name and I wrote on it in marker parentheses empowering in case people didn't know how to react to a six foot seven slob wearing a <laughs> which is fair. They don't train you for that in school. No, no. Yeah. everybody welcome to dumb and awful this is brett everyone was bored this is rob at dumb and awful which seemed like a good twitter username before i was 
interviewing an actual candidate. And we're with Jess Screen. Yeah. Uh, who is a Senate candidate in Delaware. Hi, it's great to be on the show. I want to apologize to everyone who's listening to this because they're listening to my post-canvassing voice after many hours of talking to voters. And Yeah, they should have post-canvassing voice. Uh, How about yeah, that? Yeah, get them down here yeah. knocking doors for me so I don't have to talk to someone. How about a little less gaming, a little more canvassing yeah. listeners to this terrible yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was actually going to say thank you for doing the apology at the top. We usually yeah. do it at the end afterwards for the <laughs> listeners who make it all the way through, but oh. it's good to start it off right. Well, I want people to know that I don't normally sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> so when I win, they won't have to listen to this voice all the time. <laughs> When you win, I just because I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was talking about this race with, with my father, and, and he says from watching the MSNBC that uh, this Christopher Coons guy he has an honest face, and he's a middle of the road <laughs> Democrat. Why do you want to take him out of out of a job? I think the middle of the road statement is pretty much why I would like to replace him. I think that he has valued this concept of bipartisanship over actually getting things done for Delawareans. And we've seen time and time again that he kind of is so proud to make a compromise, but then we look at the legislation that that compromise got us, and it's not something that actually makes people's lives better. We can look, one particular example, last year when he fought for an FBI investigation into Brett Kavanaugh, with, worked with uh, Jeff Flake to get that done. And the two of them went off on their television tour talking about how bipartisanship is helping the country while the FBI did nothing with the information that they were given. And it just gave a fig leaf for Republicans to vote yes on a justice who is now going to be on the court for the rest of my life and potentially change the world for the worse for the rest of my life. And that is the exact example of what I'm talking about when I say like bipartisanship can't be the end game. I think it's a tactic to maybe get you where you want to go, but it can't be the, the thing that you're shooting for. And I think that's what he's doing in office predominantly. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, Jess is primary and Chris Coons, who's the current Democratic senator from Delaware who replaced Joe Biden. He took Joe Biden's seat when he left. There was a brief interim where somebody was appointed. And then in the special election that happened afterwards, Chris Coons won. To give you an idea of who Chris Coons is, uh, yes, he is obsessed with bipartisanship. Mm -hmm. If uh, you do anything with Jeff Flake, extremely suspect. <laughs> Jeff yeah. Flake is the guy who took those charming uh, winter photos throwing snowballs at Cory Booker uh, <laughs> to show that actually we, we have some fun here. Like obviously yeah. we will take your health care and put right. the kids in camps, but you know, we're all having right. a laugh up here. Right. It's pretty, it was... Uh, Totes adorbs, according to the, <laughs> the Instagram comments beneath that one. I wish I was dead. Nauseating. Uh, but who was this Chris Coons? Tell us so, more. Let me give you some examples of uh, Chris Coons. So my favorite one that irritated me most, most recently was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember when the Saudi oil fields were uh, oh, yeah. blown up this like is a good two, one. three months ago. This is a really good one. He, in a Shout true, out to the Houthis, got to say. True bipartisan fashion, one went on Fox YouTube News channels. to lobby for us to go to war with Iran which is always what I want from my Democratic senators. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. And, and of course, he first apologized for being friendly with the Sauds, you know, after the murder of Khashoggi. He said, quote, Iran is really pushing our resolve. And if there's attacks by Iran on our close allies like Jordan, Israel, or the Saudis, three equivalent countries, mm -hmm. we need to seriously consider taking action against them. That's fucked up when, <laughs> that's when like, the Iran did that to Khashoggi like that. Yeah. That's, that's a, the story, right? He just skimmed over there. He's like, yeah, they did torture murder journalists, but oil fields guys. Right. 
another one uh, for you here is uh, Chris Coons is also the guy who was called the GOP's favorite Democratic senator, mm-hmm. which I feel like should be enough. I don't right. feel like I need to continue I know that, that line of thought. You could win. <laughs> he's trying hard for it. He loves and it. And he's there. He's um, holding on to it. How mad is Tulsi when she went and made those like chocolate balls for everyone in Congress and then went each person, each person saying, here's a little bag of aloha from Hawaii and told that story on every campaign stop she went to. And then Chris Coons gets our favorite Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, that, that's someone benefiting from privilege. Cause I know Chris Coons <laughs> did not make like macadamia bars and go hand them out to no. each person. hundred percent. He did not. But yeah. what he did do <laughs> oh, is uh, when Mike Pompeo was being nominated, he made sure to help his very friendly Republican colleagues so that they could speed that process up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big fan of voting for Republican judges. Yes. And then when people criticize him, he says, but they're qualified. Qualified uh, to take away our health care. Exactly. Qualified to overturn Roe v. Wade. So he's a big fan of voting for people who are qualified uh, and their qualifications largely seem to be helping destroy civil rights and civil liberties. Mm-hmm. So uh, amazing Senator. We're excited to yeah. talk to a challenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to, to run against here. And it's also uh, the interesting to me too, as well is like Delaware is a small state. Um, it has two senators. It's something that like we criticize on the Republican side a lot. There's two senators um, representing a very small fraction of people, but this would be an opportunity to balance the scales a little, right? right? Like you could balance Oklahoma out with Rhode Island. You could balance Kansas out with Delaware, but instead we have centrists, yeah. right? So yeah. they're electing fully far fringe. If yeah. anybody's ever looked at the Oklahoma senators, they know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And we're getting people whose greatest desire is to compromise. Mm-hmm. So tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah, no, that is not what my end game would be. I think that I'm, I'm really in this race because when I look at the state around me and the world around me, I recognize that a lot of the place, the reason that we are where we are is because there is a really broken power structure in our country. So that is actually what I am running to fix. I see a power structure that keeps, um, protects the already wealthy, protects the already powerful and abuses all the rest of us. And I am putting forth a vision for the state and the country that says we deserve better and we can have better, that we shouldn't be limited by what we've had so far. And we shouldn't look at where the right is right now and say, how do we make how do we make compromises with those people? Because they are pulling further and further. And we have senators who want to stake this ground in the middle but they're failing to realize that the middle doesn't hold. It does. It's not a fixed point. Every time you have, to your point, these senators on the right who are pulling further and further, if you're just trying to stay in the middle, you're pu- being pulled with them. There needs to be some counterbalancing for- force on the left. And what I see from Senator Coons is like, okay, if you're about compromise, why are you never looking to your left to compromise? Why are you always looking to your right to compromise? Why aren't you building power on your side of the aisle? Because that is actually how you get things done by building power with people who share your values and want to fight for the things that you actually want to fight for rather than going to the table with people who you are already supposed to be counter to in your vision of the world and giving up so much for the sake of being able to say we got something done. And getting something done isn't just enough, especially when getting things done are the things that he's doing. One recent example, he's on the budget committee. He just worked for bipartisan changes to the budget rules in 20 years they're celebrating well okay let's look at it what is it it's automatic austerity 
So they cool. have just passed new budget law or budget committee rules that say if a bill, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it, but basically if a bill doesn't meet the CBO projections, that it will trigger automatic austerity. And why is he doing that? He's trying <laughs> to kneecap a Bernie presidency or even an Elizabeth Warren presidency because those are those are people who are putting forth policies that are going to require spending. Yes. And he's trying to make it so that before they're even there, they're hindered and hamstrung in their ability to do that. I guess that means I don't have to learn modern monetary theory now, though. <laughs> yeah. I watch those videos. It's so complex. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there's a lot of spending going on. Yeah. No, I mean, these are the things that I look at and, and I see as problematic. And I, this is not someone who has a vision for a country that has a dignified standard of living for everyone. This is someone who believes in the concept of scarcity, who wants to perpetuate the concept of scarcity, who believes that some people should have less and some people should have more and that's okay. And I just don't inherently believe in that. I think that we could actually be lifting everyone up. We could be creating programs that make sure that everyone is healthy, make sure that no one's going into debt because they're sick, make sure that everyone's getting the education that they want. Like these are things we can do, but when we have senators like this without that, imagination or that vision for the country we're never going to get there absolutely i mean some of that is like it's not by accident right like he's listening to the people around him it's just that the people around him are yeah uh more representative of a a donor class Mm -hmm. and access journalist base than anything else i mean he's how do you make sure that doesn't happen to you though right that's a question i have yeah no i think that's important i'll say i mean he's a member of the wealthiest family in our state he himself is worth at least $9 million. So this is a person who has a very distorted view of what the world is like. And I hear from people, oh, you're going up against such a popular senator. You're going up against someone who people see in the grocery store and they're friendly with him. And I'm like, come canvassing with me. Because the people I'm canvassing have never don't know him. They don't shop at the expensive fine food store in his neighborhood. Like that yeah, the is word not, on the street is not that this Chris right. Coons guy is pretty like, cool. So, <laughs> so you're right. Like that that is I'm just making a TikTok about Chris Coons. <laughs> like that is indicative of who you're talking to. Mm. And I say that to people all the time. I'm like, come have the conversations I'm having and you'll see a different story. And I think that's important because I think that you have to surround yourself. You have to have a team that you trust to keep you in check because there's, if you are in Washington, there's going to be someone at your door who's always saying something in a way that sounds right. But maybe when you peel back the curtain, you're realizing like, Oh no, this is not for the people I'm here to represent. And you need to not be surrounding yourself by with a donor class. You need to not take corporate money, which we can call them donations. I call them bribes. They're bribes. We see it. I mean, I have again, Senator Coons, half million dollars in donations from pharmaceutical companies actively working on a bill to strengthen their patents and keep drug prices high. Like it's not even two dots. You don't even have to connect. <laughs> yeah, it's, just one, yeah. it's just one dot. So I think it's about who you surround yourself with. How, how many town halls are you having? What neighborhoods are you in? Who, how often are you getting back into the state to talk to the people that actually put you into that office? Now he is talking to the people that put him in office, but those are people who are incredibly wealthy who have already raised, you know, $3 million for him this cycle. And that's not, but that's not the people of Delaware. And I would actually be spending my time with the people of Delaware. I'm canvassing people who are literally saying like, wow, no one's ever come to my door. Like they're, <laughs> yeah, they're like, they stand there and they're like literally people being like, this is you on the flyer. And I'm like, yes, that is me. And I'm here to talk to you. <laughs> like it's happening to them for the first time. And that's. Participating in right, democracy in right. any meaningful way yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. 
Shout out to AOC, by the way. He still comes to those uh, Queens community board meetings. Yeah. Like still shows up and sits through those horrible <laughs> municipal meetings just yeah, to figure out what people are talking that's about where in our district. Hear what people are actually talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's where power comes from. You have to meet them where they are. You know, like yeah. you can't expect. There's this tendency, and I believe Chris Coons does this. I've never been in his office, but I've heard that, you know, it's like they tally up how many emails have we gotten pro this thing? How many emails have we gotten anti-calls? Like you can't judge where you should be on that. First of all, we put you there to be a leader. Like it's not about just responding to like how many emails you get because there are uh, there's a certain group of people who are going to email you. Yeah, if and it's based not on everybody. If it's based on like the number of emails in your inbox, uh, who you should be listening to, then yeah. I should just be listening to Politico playbook <laughs> over and over and over. Right. And over. You guys say that, but we have these KPIs for a reason, uh, and it says that at eighty percent. Yeah. No. If you, with some limited cases and exceptions, if you're emailing Chris Coons on a pleasant <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. We need less of your voice. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. There's anything. There's a New York Post. There's a certain amount of people who on. can actually send emails, make phone calls. And it's yeah. not the vast majority of voters because the vast majority of people are trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills at the end of the month, trying to figure out when their shifts are next week. They are not actually able to pay attention to the votes that people are making. And that's why they trust people to inset, like they want to trust you and send you there to do the things you said you're going to do. But so many people are disengaged and frankly disheartened because that never seems to happen. And no matter who sits in that seat, their life does not get material better, materially yeah, it's better. It's really hard to say like, no, no, I'm definitely going to deliver for you when that really hasn't happened no, anywhere ever. in yeah. the recent I mean, past. someone, yeah. a, or ever, literally yeah. a woman at a door today kind of called me on it. She's like, but everyone always says they're going to get things done. How are you going to get things done? And my response is, listen, you're right. I can't do it on my own. But the way that you do it is by building power with people who share the same values and share the same beliefs and want to fight for the same things in that body. So when I'm elected, my goal would also to be to like reach out who's the next person we're going to support and bring along. Like what seat can we turn from a centrist to a progressive? Because that is the only way we're going to get anything done. And then how do you coordinate with the groups that are doing the work outside of the um, Senate? actual organizing groups that are that are on the ground getting people engaged so that you build power inside and outside so those things can come together probably gonna but be that's necessary. a lot it's a long road and i recognize that like i don't think i'm not delusional to think that like me just getting elected changes everything but i think that i have the will to fight for it and i think that i have the right attitude about recognizing that we have to build power behind these ideas sorry Britt, i know you have Question. No, you guys are basically just, hitting the questions. I just, how do you running at them as I'm like, all right, I'm about to ask her about how she's going to affect meaningful change. Well, she's yeah, just already there. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking about though, right? Like that's one thing that's been nice to see that GOP has always done this. Like basically yeah. if you get into Congress, they'll start giving you committee spots because why not burnish the resume? Right. Mm -hmm. And on the DNC side, it, it's Pelosi really like locks down who gets what yeah. in Congress. And it seems like the only way to get ahead now is that sort of Bernie Sanders model of you make it through and you bring someone else up yeah. with you, right? With yeah. AOC, with Ilhan Omar, yeah. right? Is that is that the only way to get it done now? Because I don't, with the Supreme Court being what it is and gerrymandering being what it is and campaign finance being what it is, like it's so hard to imagine and this is a criticism of Warren a little bit too. It's so hard to imagine getting in and then what, like where are the levers of power that you can actually manipulate to any meaningful effect? Yeah, I know. I think, I do think it requires numbers 
and people who believe the same things. I think that's something we have to actively be working for, like in a progressive movement and getting people elected who all believe the same things, who are going to stand in line and like not back down on those things. But I think you also have to look at the damage that's been done to the system and really look at ways to undo that damage. I think we need to we need look to like? look at impeaching justices or adding justices FDR or style adding states <laughs> or like there are ways I think that we have to like really play hardball to get back to actually where the country is because we have representation that is so much more conservative than where the vast majority of the country is if you're like actually looking at the way people vote you know, like gun control health care that sort of stuff yeah or? yeah i yeah. mean a good example is every single time a minimum wage increases on a ballot regardless of state or county it passes mm -hmm. virtually every single time oklahoma passes same with weed when it's on the ballot right. it passes right. every state you are right like people understand like policies that actually like affect people's daily lives yes they tend to be more progressive on those things Exactly. So most people don't trust politicians because again, why would you mm -hmm. if you've been I alive the last 30 years? Yeah. But like if you can say one to one, if that happens, my uncle is allowed to vote again, right. which for me is the actual case. Yeah. Hey, that's great. Of course right. I'm going to vote for that. Right. right? It's the same with marijuana. That's how it passed in Florida. That's how it passes in a lot of states. Unfortunately, uh, the states are really bad about pushing that, but yeah. this is how we have to do it. Yeah. I do have a question for you. For those who aren't super familiar with Delaware, what are what do you think are the three biggest issues facing the state? Yeah. Um, so, and what are your sort of policies to address those? Yeah, um, I think from, again, this is both my take, but what I hear on the doors, healthcare, um, I would actually tie economic justice and criminal justice together mm -hmm. and climate change. And I'm gonna kind of work back backwards here. Climate change, because we are actually the lowest lying state in the country. Um, oh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we are already. Oh, you should see what Florida looks like. Seeing, if you're worse, good yeah, luck. We're worse. Oh, boy. We are already seeing the effects of that. There's a neighborhood, you know, mile and a half from here, Southbridge. Every time it's rained, every time it rains, it's flooded. The beaches, we get a king tide and roads are underwater. It's not even raining, it's sunny out, and the roads are underwater. So, and, and rising sea levels aren't even the biggest factor of climate change, but we are already seeing the effects of them here. And that ties into the concept of environmental justice as well, because we are historically a state who's allowed kind of companies like DuPont and companies mm -hmm. that are What's one polluters, bad thing DuPont's ever done? Um, <laughs> destroyed our air, land, and water. Oh, that's three. I don't, have to, I don't have to show off. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Oh, I did my homework. Um, yeah, so okay, we have historically, and, and these things run into... <laughs> But we've seen historically um, the fact that climate and racial justice are very intertwined. So some of the poorest blacker and browner communities in our state are the ones that have the most pollution, have the highest cancer rates, has the highest asthma rates. So this is something that's already affecting our state and it's only going to get worse if temperatures rise, if air gets more polluted. Um, going back to criminal justice, economic justice, I, I believe in, sorry, on climate, I believe in the Green New Deal. I think that we absolutely have to move away from um, <clears throat> carbon emissions. We have to move away from fossil fuels. We have to completely divest ourselves from that. We should not be spinning up new, any fossil fuel um, mines or wells or fracking or any of that stuff. We have to completely walk away from it. Um, we need to completely get emissions out of our transportation system uh, to basically survive. <laughs> um, when we talk about criminal justice, economic justice, Delaware has um, one of the worst 
incarceration rates in the country. It's actually worse than every other country in the world. Except Louisiana. <laughs> oh, but every country is still worse. Than, oh like, so uh, sorry, we're still Delaware worse than every other country. country. It would be worse. Yeah. It'd be the worst country. Yes, it's actually worse than the United <laughs> but States. But for states, it's not the worst it hangs state. in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's Dark, interesting. Right? America's doing about. well. <laughs> yeah, actually, we're we are worse than United States as a whole, and we're worse than every other country. Um, and when you look at taking a victory lap. <laughs> Not great. Do better, Florida. Yeah. Well, you guys are up there, so don't worry. It's like Florida, Louisiana are the other tops. Yeah. Louisiana is. Look, yeah. we expect to win, though. I don't like this idea of Delaware sneaking in. It's like when Clemson wins the championship. <laughs> I don't like it. It's very disorienting. Back to the SEC, please. <laughs> but yeah, so criminal justice is a huge problem. We have over-policed communities here. We have about, I believe our state is about 20% um, black, <laughs> and, but our prison population is 60% black. So you can see that it's- Those numbers are really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Those are bad. It's bad. And um, again, I'm knocking doors in these neighborhoods and people are saying like, what are you going to do about policing? What are you going to do about like decriminalizing? Um, so what I see there is that we have to demilitarize the police. Yes. Um, that is a mistake that we made post 9-11. Like many of the things that we chose to do post 9-11, it was a mistake we made. Um, we have we had an incident in the last few months where a like SWAT vehicle responded to a eviction. A man was being evicted <laughs> oh and he holed himself up inside the home and was threatening to kill himself. And like the SWAT came with like an MRAP. And like that was the response. We do that in New York quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. Just a, a lonely Queens Road. Mm -hmm. And then we bring in these MRAPs. And yeah. They're... And one it's of them, terrifying. the guy was manning the, the top the turret. The he was like manning the, the turret the for some reason. He, I think this is like his big photo day. Yeah. Right? His buddies were taking pictures. Yeah, it was it was like an eviction thing. Yeah. yeah. I think they just and like ice. getting them they out. They worked with ICE too. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Talk about another mistake we made. <laughs> Something else we need to get rid of. Should we abolish ICE? Yes. All right. Well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a mistake. Um, yeah. So what happens is that we are over-incarcerating people. We have a militarized police system. Those people are then unable to find jobs. Um, I talked to someone recently who was on seven years of parole and like just got off of it, but still like hadn't gotten his license back. So his license was suspended. So it was like needed to rely on public transportation, which mm -hmm. isn't great here. I mean, we have, a, I ride the bus, yeah, I ride the bus to work, anywhere. but it's not great really anywhere. So he's relying on the bus to get to work. He needs to maintain a job while he's on parole. Like it just is all set up for him to never succeed again. Yes. And he's working on a job that he gets $9 an hour and he's trying to support his kids. So that's why I tie those things together because I think economic justice is infringed upon if you have a failing criminal justice system, which we do. Mm -hmm. I think we need to have at least $15 minimum wage. I say at least because we know that's not high enough. Um, Delaware actually has an affordable housing shortage and people talk about prices of homes in New York and San Francisco and Seattle, but in Delaware you have to make at least $18 an hour just to afford a one bedroom apartment comfortably. And that's double our minimum wage. So we know people are not able to do that. Good news. That's a problem everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to be in a federal uh, Exactly. Body. So I believe housing is a right. And I think I, that ties into economic justice as well. Delaware, I mean, Delaware seems delightful, but <laughs> never more have I believed in the idea that housing is a human right than when you tell me that you can't get housing in Delaware. Because <laughs> yeah. it feels like that should be a place. Yeah. 
that they frankly could be giving it away. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a lot of luxury. We have a lot of luxury apartments that sit empty. Yeah, that sounds like a symptom of a really good good system. Yeah. No, we've got people who are homeless and we could put in homes, but instead we've we're building at this luxury only price point and we have buildings that are sitting empty and people that are living on the street. Um, and then the place I started was healthcare. This is the thing I'm hearing from people the most when I'm knocking on doors. People are either uninsured uh, I think our state oh, has, yeah, yeah. And our state is actually not bad on the uninsured rate. It's about 7%, which is not bad if you look at the rest of the country. However, for Latino people, it's 20%. So they're almost three times the the average of our state. Um, and they're a growing population in our state. So that that rate is only going to decrease if that, if um, they continue to be uninsured. We also only have a single provider in the marketplace in the state of Delaware. I love so, choice. Yeah. So you can choose, you know, your bronze plan, which has the eight thousand oh, dollar yeah. deductible and costs you three hundred dollars a month if I've you make that. ten dollars an Bulwark hour. X emblem plan yeah. blue. <laughs> yeah. I identify with that. I'm glad I have that yeah. choice. And our state was our elected officials were touting that the rates in our marketplace were down nineteen percent this year. They had they're the highest they've ever been. They've gone up since to consistently from 2014. Well, they have and the gone way down they went down, year. this is a fun fact. They went down because the state and the federal government created a reinsurance fund. So the state and the federal government are paying for the costliest people in the system rather than the insurer who's making a profit. Man, so, I wonder if like the state and government could do that for just everybody. Right? It, I mean, they're already in the, the healthcare wild, business. Though. Imagine if they just kept going. Actually so, helped us, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these are the things I hear from people when I'm out and talking to them. And those are the things that, that are key to my, my platform. Uh, since we're sort of talking about the, the big issues, um, as you probably know, um, Mina from the classic K-pop group Twice uh, has been out recently. <laughs> and people worry that even when she comes back, she may not get the same screen time from JYP, who tends to favor Dayeon and Neon. Uh, I guess my question here is, would do you I have be, any idea what you're talking about? Would you be in favor <laughs> of military intervention in South Korea if JYP doesn't respect uh, once his wishes? And second of all, is our military funded at an appropriate rate? <laughs> well, you know, I feel like the first question is really uh, touching on the fact that uh, they're intertwined. Yeah, they're yeah, intertwined. yeah. Yeah. Um, but it sounds a little imperialistic and that tends to be uh, not something I'm interested in. All right. So folks were calling it. She's anti-imperialist. <laughs> we'll see how that plays on the left. <laughs> oh, really sticking my neck out here. Um, your second question was, are, I believe, are we, is our military funded at the right levels right now? Uh, I'm going to go with in space, not just the air. Yeah. But Can in you space. imagine like we're going to have like guns in space before I'm we actually you. make sure I'm that everyone have this is like, written. not going bankrupt because they get cancer. <laughs> like that's where our priorities are at. That's really tough because the second <laughs> one just sounds so bad. Right. <laughs> but then the first one sounds like we're halfway to Gundam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the space force is just another imperialist venture. It's just like, yes. like literally militarizing space. It's, we Absolutely find, the opposite we of what find we people be doing. out there. We are going to colonize the hell out of them. Yeah. We'll be ready with no, our I mean, space force. This, this is the problem with like the inherent nature of like imperialism and, and capitalistic imperialism is like, well, when's it enough? Like, 
I, there's no end because I mean, Chris Coons to go back to him, my wonderful opponent, he's made comments about how we have to like beat China to Africa and like, okay, cool. cool. Like, so we got to, really. we've got to like take over Africa <laughs> before China does. Okay, cool. What's next? The moon, we don't want to lose Mars. the imperialist like, wars. Right. Like <sighs> what if they find people to exploit before we exploit exactly. them? Exactly. It's fucked up to think about. Right. It'll be better for their happen, economy, yeah. but when it could be good for our economy. No, these are not things we should be doing. So your question about military budget, military budget is absurd. It's comical. Insane. Like for the raises that have, again, Democrats have now given Trump, we could be paying for universal pre-K and college for everyone. There you go. Okay. A few cool questions for you before we wrap here. Like lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Education, free college, student debt cancellation. Yes to both. Awesome. Uh, since we're talking about foreign policy stuff, AUMF, it did pass the House. Would you be supporting? By pass, I mean they passed the repeal of it. Yeah. What's the AUMF? I, uh, I see authorization, icons. Authorization of use of military force. All right. It's what we passed after 9-11 that basically gives the president carte blanche yeah. so long as he calls something a terrorist to send troops at it. Yeah. Um, Congress needs to take back its power to declare war. I think what we have seen in so many ways and not just with President Trump. I mean, we know Obama used a lot of executive orders to get things done too, but Congress was basically like bilking its responsibility mm -hmm. and it was choosing not to um, use its power. And it's doing that by allowing presidents to declare war. It's doing that by frankly allowing President Trump to do the things that he's done with the power of his office. I think that there is, there's a need to actually hold people accountable for these things because that's actually how the system's structured. And if Congress is not going to play that role, then they are giving up the power that they hold. And that is, I think, detrimental to the people in our country. Well, I agreed. I mean, if it's a representative system, that's kind of important. Right. <laughs> the right. reps get to say something. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it's way easier to get reelected if you didn't vote on a position. Yeah, and that, you know, that's something that I really struggle with and, and something that I look at, like I've asked my local officials here in Delaware, like what is what is the thing you're willing to lose your seat for? Because if you don't have something that you feel Ooh, that passionately question. about, like if you don't have something that you truly believe is like the thing you want to lead on, what are you doing there? Because that's what we're actually sending you there to do. We're mm. asking you to be a leader. You see it all the time. I mean, impeachment is a recent example where the numbers were sort of squishy. And then as soon as they started saying like, this is real, we should be doing it. The numbers came along. People are asking to be led. You have the information, you have the power, use it. But don't just sit there and be like, oh, well, if I kind of play the middle, I can, no uh, one person can get mad at me. It's like, yeah, but no one person can believe in you either. So that is what I really look at. And the things that I'm passionate about are really having a government that works for everybody and raises our standard of living so that no one is struggling in the wealthiest country in the world. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm going to steal that question. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. For everybody I talked to. You <laughs> I love that. Um, final question. For those who don't know much about Delaware, what's something we should know about the state? I could have told you that it was the lowest line, but I already did. Um, I think that it already gets that filled. I know. Fuck. I would say <laughs> that people have this tendency to think it's purpler than it is because our representation trends to the center mm. because we have only ever been represented by corporate Democrats because we have allowed corporations to really run our state mm -hmm. for so long. People are not as purple as the state gets a reputation for people are more progressive than our representation. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for coming on. Thank Thanks you so much for having me. How can people find and support you? Sure. So my website is at justfordelaware.com and you can get social and sign up for emails and donate from there. And you should donate and support. Absolutely. If you come to Delaware and Canvas, you should do that. J-E-S-S-F-O-R-D-E-L-A-W-A-R-E. That's right. I can spell Delaware. Now you all. I don't know. You got halfway through and I was like, ooh, ooh. You've committed now. But yes, that is it. That was a parkour move where I really needed a full commitment. You like you went like a fugue state where you're like, just keep going. Here's the thing. I In football, when you have forward momentum, that counts for the first down. And I feel like I fell forward. Yeah through that word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> i went to the videotape and i you made got it. it technically <laughs> that's a completed word so it hit my quota it's an, it's an audio medium i'm doing hand yeah. gestures <laughs> for the listener she has stood up uh taken two bold steps to the right and then sort of a tomahawk chopped in the case the first down was achieved by me yeah spelling delaware <laughs> thank right, you great. Great. thank you both it. so much I hope your voice gets better soon. I know. I apologize to everyone again. Uh, and we're looking forward to Chris Kins losing. Me too. Very much. You should just lose. Just lose. Just retire. Oh, Chris. Oh. Okay. And our next candidate is Medina Wilson Anton, who's running for state representative for the 26th representative district in Delaware. But do you know anybody who's not a leftist? Let's start there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was born in Florida probably, and I was in the military. You're probably in one Most of those Most of the people bubbles, I know aren't leftists. One of those liberal bubbles where you don't know anybody who's different from you. Mm, that's true. No, I definitely Everybody knows out. a social veteran. <laughs> well, good for you. Every day is a crusade for you then. That's important. That's what I tell myself when I wake up every morning. Today's another crusade. Put on my Templar armor. Yeah. He, I, know I do the Muslim laughing, version. I'm like, every day is a struggle. A jihad, if you will. Every, that, that, that's a good campaign slogan. Every yeah. day a jihad? Yeah. Every day, uh, M dash, a jihad, <laughs> exclamation mark, close quotation brackets. We're on that jihad bus. Get on the jihad bus in Delaware. <laughs> and then your face. It's like you say that and immediately a Republican from Sussex County jumps up and they're like, I'm introducing a Sharia law ban. Like immediately. <laughs> So I said jihad bus because there was a time in, you know, language where we were saying struggle bus and we were saying struggle. and ju- mm. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Here's so a, that's what I meant. I didn't mean it like a good thing. Like, I'm, we're really on this jihad bus right now. Like, it's not fun. That said, not if, if I was on a bus and someone turned back and we were like, we were really on this jihad <laughs> bus. I'd be very yeah. excited. You, you have my attention. <laughs> I'm going to at least hear you out. It's the most interesting bus ride I've been on. I'm going to keep the earbuds out for at least the next 30 seconds and hear you clarify a little bit. Yeah. I say, Allah Akbar. All aboard the Jihad bus. This is one of those situations we where like, yes, the struggle bus America. and the, like, you yeah, are te- you're good... technically correct. It's a valid Language, thought. Yes. Right. I'm just not sure it's a, a winner yeah. the, I in mean, the heartlands. It's funny because I, the I tend to heartlands. not do these kind of problems. I don't have this problem often because I'm very, I'm thinking about, okay, let me make sure I don't say something that someone's going to be like, see, she's trying to destroy the country. Um, She's, you know. It's okay to destroy the country. Which is why I was saying. Keep running things. I'll take care of it. I was saying earlier. I was like, we should take a picture by the flag, so people know what's up. What flag? What flag? The American American flag flag on that side. She was saying she's always gonna take pictures in front of the flag, so people don't accuse her. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think people are going to kiss Yeah, you're right, you're right. But, like, don't make it easy, you know? I leave, I'm in this group chat, and I leave it, like, lately, I've been leaving it, like, every day, because I'm, like, metaphorically, where I'm like, oh, I can't be in this chat anymore. (laughs) You guys are too (laughs) anti-American. And they're all white, so they could do that. And I'm like, I just, Yeah, that's great. I'm out. We suffer no consequences for our stance. And as society has coddled us, it's really great. It's an awesome system we have. You can just be sort of rude to police officers for no reason at all, yeah. and they just have to let you. Yes, right? that is cr- I, yeah, I can just do whatever. Excuse and then me, when they sir. <laughs> I want to know where Houston Street is. I've looked around and I don't see Houston Street. Okay, then I'm going. <laughs> you can just do that every day, and they can't stop you. <laughs> Brett, do you want to ask some actual political questions? I mean, we could. What do you mean? What have we been doing this? Whole I suppose. Time? All right, so you're running for state senate, state rep, state rep. Excuse yeah. me. I appreciate that, though. People often they're like, the they're joke. like senate, right? Why start with rep? Go to senate, and I'm like, no, that's not what I'm doing. But wait, people say that? Yeah, like they actually put it in a newspaper article. It was like people running for state senate, and I was like, running. I'm running for state rep. People like, oh, even in their own state, they can't bother to figure it out. <laughs> That seems like a good yeah, sign a for good how the political omen, system's right? going. Yeah. It's like they're like they see me aspiring to higher office. Thank you. I haven't even won yet. I appreciate that. That's what's that. happening. It's yeah. not them being like, who fucking cares? Whatever. Somebody well, run for a state. Maybe it is, thing. Brett. Thank you. Oh, it's not you specifically. That's politics <laughs> in a cares state. About me running. <laughs> is that why I came on? Definitely the show? not what I meant. <laughs> for you to talk me out. I of will it? be editing that. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> running for state like, rep. He's so own. disappointed. Yeah, no, he's he's not. I live with him. Actually, yeah, correct. Oh but, wow! But you my at some point, my condolences. Yeah, at go. some point you'll detach, and then I'll just get in the car with him, <laughs> and this just continues. <laughs> you don't have to drive though. That's true. Yeah, that's what I thought. See those sorts of even when he thinks he's winning, it's just depressing. <laughs> everyone, everyone around. Uh, excuse me, so you're running for state rep? Yes. In Delaware. What is your district? So, yeah. So, so the 26th district is Southern Newark Bay Area, which is about 10 minutes from the University of Delaware, um, largely suburban area, closest to our biggest mall, the Christiana Mall. What's it called? <laughs> Christiana. Christiana. Yeah. That area that it's in, the Christiana area, was like, I think, Swedes that settled it for. Do people have Delaware pride? Because I know, like, growing up oh, from yeah. Florida. This is something we never she, got. By the way, dead serious. She's like, absolutely. Yeah, our thing was always like, we'd go somewhere and be like, ah, Georgia sucks. And people were like, where are you from? And we'd be like, Florida. And they go like, well, Florida sucks. And it's like, yeah, I, I know. And we know. That's, that's how <laughs> yeah. we recognize that your yeah, state and yours too. sucks too. Like, we're experts at this. So what? No. I can't not. imagine being like someone driving through and being like, ha you know what's fun to do in Delaware? Uh, get the hell out of it. <laughs> and then drive on by and you're, you're there in exhaust fumes. <laughs> Being like, actually, it's quite good. Is that generally the vibe? Mm, People like I mean, Delaware? So it depends on who you're talking about. People are not a monolith, right? So like, oh, if you're talking about, about teenagers, <laughs> yes, most teenagers that I knew when I was a teenager and know now, they're like, oh, Delaware's so boring. Like, there's nothing to do. And like, it's gotten better. But then as like, far as adults go, so like, older people like to retire to Delaware because we don't have a lot of taxes. And so people like that. And a lot of times I'm familiar with that one. Right. So like people in the area, like in the mid Atlantic will be like, Oh, you're from Delaware. I go there to shop. Like I go there, I go to the outlets or I go to the beaches. That's why I register my corporation to avoid taxes. (laughs) 
It's like the yeah. main. It's where I the, the middle Atlantic. Atlantic. So I can <laughs> Just using it traffic. for fireworks and the kittery trading post. <laughs> Coming to the mall for deep discounts on your tax bill. <laughs> well, you've sold me. This place is valuable. Gonna retire here now. Yeah, we have. I mean, we have nice parks. We have. It's nice if you're like you know you want a vacation with your family. Like we have beaches and they're they're tax free. So like. Normally when I'm at the New beach, Jersey? I'm not thinking about taxes. You're not. Like if I'm at well, Atlantic like City, and that's beach? why you're poor. You're not a shopper. That's. I mean, I'm not really well, either. Now you've crossed the line. <laughs> <laughs> we had kept things civil to this point. But I won't have you tell me Look, I'm not a shopper. Shoppers. I'm not one either, so maybe I just can't identify them well. But I'm just, when I'm buying like, oh my a God, shirt outlets. from an outlet on a beach, and statistically, it's very likely Penny to be picture. horribly colored and say something misogynistic on it. If I'm familiar with these outlets, uh, I'm not worried about tax at that point. Is yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, the I'll, average, I'll the, the the average City middle premium. class American is worried about taxes. I'll have you know. Okay. Empathy. Well, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I I think we should raise taxes on the rich and on corporations. Um, and we okay, might need to have a sales tax available yes. eventually. So we have to drive too. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, this has been fun. Like just shooting the ish, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys through. have some questions. I'm cool to answer. I had a question for you. So you support the green new deal. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Uh, what is a green bank that I haven't heard of before? Okay. It's on your platform. Um, so we know that people, especially middle-class working people don't have the money to invest in, Tech that is often more expensive up front, but then pays it pays its way kind of afterwards. Um, so the idea behind a green bank is um, the state financing like startup costs for different sustainable technology so that communities can get into that market. It can become more widespread and then we pay it off over time. Um, it's been done in other states. It's been done in countries. But the idea is basically let's make it affordable for everyone to get into the green market. And hmm. So we public have banking to. explicitly for that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I've heard of that before. I like it. Yeah. Well, we have to do something. I mean, we have like, what, 11 years at this point now before it's too far gone for us to fix the climate crisis. So we have to make it affordable and we have to make it, we have to incentivize this kind of stuff. So. Or you're going to lose right. part of Delaware since apparently you have the lowest sea level. Uh, yeah. Lowest lying state. Yeah. And they're still saying buy on the beach, which is like, <laughs> They okay. do that in Miami too and they have the same problem. So. Yeah. Like, yeah, we definitely, so like other things that it could fund is climate proofing places. So like it could pay for a drainage project that's going to make a community be able to actually deal with rising sea levels and stuff like that. So. All right. Another one I had for you, your tenant's bill of rights. Mm-hmm. which is great. What is the manufactured housing issue? Because I haven't heard of that before. Is that Delaware oh. specific thing? Um, I mean, so when we talk about it, there's there's two specific neighborhoods in our district that are manufactured housing communities. Mobile homes, trailer park, that kind of an idea. People mm-hmm. call them different things, different places. But um, the concept is basically people own their home, but they rent the land underneath their home. And so if the person that owns the land decides to sell it, they're basically out of luck now we call them mobile homes but they're really not mobile a lot of times especially after a couple years so if you lived in that house for 20 years you're not putting that on a trailer and moving it like it's it's there or if you move it it's going to have major damage so what we're thinking about is actually 
um, changing the law so that if a landowner is able to sell the land, that the community gets the first right of buy. And so we that would. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah because, I actually really like that. But the problem is, a lot of times people that live in these communities don't have the capital to be able to to front to buy right. that, right? Yep. So the idea is that we create some kind of um, state assistance so that we can kind of finance it and they can pay it off over time. But like the one community that we're talking about, Glasgow Courts, that's like how many people? Like almost five hundred people, I think, who live in the in the neighborhood, and that's a lot of people to have to move. And like I said, you, it's not something that's super easy to do. You're going to damage your home. It's going to cost money to get it to wherever you can afford to put it. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to make sure people can stay in their communities, stay close to the schools their kids go to, where they work, and be part of the community. So. That's great. I was reading Forbes recently, and apparently mobile Why do you homes- keep prefacing sentences with that? <laughs> I hate it. I know you've, it normally comes before real facts, but I've been reading Forbes lately. Mm-hmm. Not very man of the people. <laughs> well, Buttigieg referenced it, and I was like, oh, I got to be up to he date with He did do my that man. in the debate. He did so, say, according to Forbes, I'm a man of the people. Exactly. Ugh. But I was reading Forbes, yeah, he's pretty and gross. Uh, they, they, were, they were saying mobile homes are an incredible investment opportunity because uh, they're people who can't move when you raise the rents on them. So you can just keep raising rents. Which is why they need to have Super good investment opportunity, guys. Yeah. That's so sick. It mm-hmm. almost seems like they need the most amount of protection because there's a middleman class called landlords that like their entire essence of being is preying on those Tell people. Yeah. <laughs> Something's gotta be done about these landlords and we need more protections for tenants. That just seems maybe a tenants bill of rights. Mm. Yeah. Seems I mean, we smart. have protections on the books, but a lot of this stuff it's after the fact it's like somebody moved. Your, so for example, in this neighborhood, the woman who owns it decided she was going to clear out a section. Mm-hmm. So she has everybody move. Some houses break in the process. So they're just out of house. And then um, other houses weren't hooked up to like heat. They weren't hooked up to water because she had her husband do the work. So, okay. So you take it to court or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's after it's, it's too late at that point. Yeah. It's you're, a lot of you're hassle. in a hotel for however long, like it's, it's, it shouldn't be so difficult for people to have, you know, the ability to advocate for themselves. I mean, that's the plan. That's what they were doing um, post 08, 09, too, when they were kicking people out of houses. If you could show up with a lawyer, you could usually fight it. Right. But you have to have the time and money to show up with a lawyer. And then the judge would get exhausted because the banking lawyer's right there and he's there every day taking care of this. And like, oh, now I have to actually stop and discuss this case. It's a really good first step to making sure people aren't screwed over. I wish I knew this statistic, but the amount of people who, not just with um, manufactured homes, but people who rent it anywhere, the amount of people who, um, when they go to court over an eviction, type, you know, issue, that actually win the case is like, whatever percent higher than if they didn't have a lawyer. Like it's we know that that if somebody can have you know someone to help advocate with them, they're not going to get kicked out. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a huge uh, it's, thing of what New York DSA does. By the way, they they got tenant support groups because yeah, just having anyone there or right. even having an external indicator that you're willing to fight or know how to fight at really your only recourse right now. Yeah. Only thing that kind of occasionally works against landlords. What do you think are your two biggest issues for your district? Um, I would say housing affordability and education. Um, so like personally to me, I think what I really care about the most right now is making sure that our public education system is funded equitably 
and it's not. And when I we talk to people at the doors, that's one of the main things that they're like, you know, really resonating with. And they're like, yeah, like I should have to send my kid to a charter school or to a private school to know that they're going to get the education that they deserve. Mm. And it's one of those issues where people down in Dover, they know what the solution is. They've talked about it. They've, there's, they've had a consortium and a commission and a task force and all these different things over the years to like study and have findings and not have and, to vote on anything for a while. Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, well, it's not going to get voted on because nobody wants to put their neck out and actually, you know, step up. So that's one of the things that actually really frustrated me and inspired me to get involved um, was hearing legislators say that basically like to me, like that's dead in the water. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that's very convenient. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And like, that's kind of the culture. I don't know if Jess mentioned it, but like, the culture in, in Delaware politics and in Dover is like, let's not rock the boat. If we don't have the votes in caucus, we don't bring it to the floor. We're not going to put you out there where you have to actually take a stand on it. We'll take our stands together in private and then we'll do the numbers in private. <laughs> that is how leadership serious, works. Yes. Dude. It's and like one legislator that I knew was like, would you see on the floor when we, when we discuss a bill and vote on it? That's theater. And I was cool. like, what do you mean? He's like, we know what's going to happen. People get up and they're like, I'm standing up against this bill because and it's like they know that it's going to get through or they know yeah, that it's for not TV gonna... spots later on. Basically. Yeah, but but they don't put it forward almost ever if they know it's going to fail. And so voters are robbed of the ability to know who stands for what. It seems to be the entire intention because you're not making difficult votes exactly. that people can hold you to. Exactly. So a lot of courageous leaders in Delaware is what you're saying. <laughs> the most courageous. We'll have three new yeah. ones after this next election. Yeah. You, Larry, and Jess. And dare I say we've got courage. There you go. Because <laughs> we're going up against the three establishment. Three new ones slash the only three. So. Whatever. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> there are others. But I think one of the main things that we need and why I'm really excited about Larry and Eric, um, who's running in another district, is like, I think the more people we have down there that aren't afraid to take a stand and to put themselves out there, lead on issues, the more people that are already down there that are going to be like, okay, I'll, I'll come along. I just don't want to lead. Like oh, yeah. you drive, it, I'll you get got, in the yeah. back You got a seat. lot of sheep who are leaders. So yeah. And I mean, that's just the way it is. People don't like to hear it, but people I work like there. The, I know that's what it is. People don't want to lead if they can just sort of like draft behind someone else. And the yeah. more people you get in there that are actually like, demanding they be held accountable to the people that voted them in the more that changes the norms and yeah. brings the stuff out of the sort of darkness zero transparency way of legislating and into something that maybe reflects uh the people of delaware a little bit better that'd be cool to see <laughs> hopefully you guys do that yeah <laughs> that'd I, be think, great. I think we'll we definitely will so i'm excited and what's your campaign campaign website again Medina for Delaware. Medina for and it's Delaware. Medina spelled, spelled the correct way. M-A-D-I-N-A-H. The correct way. Yeah. Like if you go on Google Maps and you look at the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia, that's how it's spelled. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's actually a reference point I understand. Yeah. You found one, guys. You heard it here <laughs> first, it. Americans. We're doing it how they do it in Saudi Arabia oh now. God. Our valued allies. Right, Chris Coons? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, mm. All right. Well, thanks for being on. Thanks for having it. me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Had, had a fun time. <laughs> Rob, any final thoughts? Um, the cookies were very good, Brett. Thank you. Yeah. 
Have you tried the cookies yet? I would love a cookie. Yeah, try them. They're easy to give away because technically they're already someone else. (laughs) And our final candidate is Larry Lambert for state representative for the 7th District in Delaware. The John Wick movie, but they replace Keanu Reeves with Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) 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 The the dog represents decorum and nancy's <laughs> fed up with what they've done to him yes <laughs> i know it's not john wick but i also want to see nancy pelosi do the matrix lobby scene with all the accompanying music <laughs> i still Just want every to see Keanu reeves movie work that into the plot and speed so it makes sense so when it comes to it we're not jarred out of the illusion of, of disbelief <laughs> Uh, so we're here with uh, Larry Lambert, who's running for state representative for the 7th District. Absolutely, yes. the 7th District. North Wilmington, Claymont, and the Ardens. All places I know outside of Wilmington. Excellent. You know the 7th District of Delaware? Intimately, do you not? I know the Ardens is where they fought the Battle of the Bulge, actually. <laughs> A lot of lot of good people <laughs> fought on both sides. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, thank you for coming on, Larry. Uh, absolutely and i want to thank you guys for interviewing us you know you guys do outstanding work we're big fans of what you guys do that's kind of to say (laughs) (laughs) and our seventh district is made up of some of the most wonderful neighborhoods in all of delaware from darley woods to ashburn hills to the ardens to north grayland crest to claymont i was born and raised in our seventh district And I'm running to make sure that all of our families, all of our communities have equal access to economic opportunity, Mm -hmm. to health care, to education, because the status quo is not working out. Status quo is what now? How's it looking there right now? Um, It's looking like the future leaving us behind. You know, um, when I look at the economic opportunity developing around our communities, whether it's the Port of Wilmington's expansion in Edgemore to our south, whether it's three hundred over 300 acres of development going into our north and north Claymont, we got to make sure that our young people, that our working families are connected to this opportunity. I've been doing this work. I'm an active volunteer for the Delaware Pathways to Apprenticeship Program. That's a program established by City Councilwoman Rashima Dixon, and I volunteer for the mock interview sessions. Mm -hmm. I I, I volunteer for the resume review workshops. So as a part of that program, we put young people on a pathway to get in quality union jobs. They start off as in the apprenticeship program, and it's even young people, whether it's young people that did everything right, that followed the rules, or young people that may have a little blemish on their criminal background. Mm -hmm. They may have gotten into a little trouble Mm -hmm. you know like many of us have and we're making sure that there's a pathway for them to be connected to this economic opportunity going on around us and you said some of these are union jobs what's the union situation look like here so um the unions definitely need our support you know as as um the establishment pushes for a right to work legislation We got to make sure that these unions that really help to build up our middle class, that really help to build that pathway for many of us to, you know, break chains of intergenerational poverty. We got to make sure that we're supporting our unions Mm -hmm. and the Delaware Pathways to Apprenticeship Program. It puts young people um, on a pathway to getting apprenticeships with the building trade unions, with the Longshoremen Union. 
And um, I even, uh, I'm co-chair of the Delaware uh, New Banking Initiative. Mm -hmm. That program bought uh, financial literacy programs as as well as federal credit union services to the Route 9 corridor. So that program helps uh, young people that get into the apprenticeship program, the union apprenticeship program. It helps them to be uh, to become financially literate. It helps them to be on a pathway to building their credit scores, mm-hmm. getting mortgages, you know, uh, becoming entrepreneurs. So um, it's not just about words. It's not just about promises. I've been doing the work, and that's what I stand for: actions. Love it. Uh, I'm going to circle back to something you just said. People are pushing for right to work. Isn't this state run top to bottom by Democrats? This state is Democrat, is is very Democratic. However, um, we have a little issue where some legislators are Democrats in name only. Mm. You know, when uh, the Democratic ticket is the uh, only thing in town um, that's viable, there are some people that will switch over from Republican to become Democrats, you know? So for me... Um, my efforts in the community are bigger than party. It's really about the people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with that being said, um, you know, I am a Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat. And in my race, I'm the, I'm the candidate that really supports true Democratic values. Mm-hmm. And I do so with my work, with my track record of proven results. And that's why I'm running to be state representative of our 7th District. What is the work of the Democratic Party that makes you feel proud? Um, the, I say I'm, I'm not a Democrat. I used to be a Democrat. And after a while, I was just like, what am I even supporting anymore? Right. So when, absolutely. You, when you say people are, are, you know, Democrats in name only here, really, they're Republicans, but they've held the center here for so long. What, what's the good Democrat work being done here? Uh, that's an outstanding question. Uh, for too long, the Democratic work that's being done um, in our state is really incremental work. Um, yeah, they're not really they yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this checks out. The, the, the dial is not really moving forward. Um, I saw a stat that in 1940, 90% of children did better than their parents did economically. As of 2016, that number is 50%. You know, upward mobility is broken. Right now, yeah. the future is leaving us behind, and this is not acceptable. Uh, you you even look at um, the minimum wage. Uh, so I'm a huge advocate for a livable wage. And what's for, that mean? What's a livable wage? A livable that? wage is where individuals that are giving any corporation, any company, forty hours of their life per week can live with economic dignity. There, it's not acceptable that you can give any corporation forty. 45, 50, 55 hours, and you're still, you know, signing up for food stamps. You're, you're still, you know, depending on the government to pay for your housing, to pay for your childcare, you know? Uh, so many people complain about welfare programs. That's corporate welfare. We Absolutely. have companies that are making hundreds of billions of dollars, trillion-dollar companies at this point, mm-hmm. trillion-dollar private companies where employees are working for them and they can still qualify for welfare programs. That's not acceptable. The, the biggest expense on our state's budget year after year is these government assistance programs. If we have a livable wage, 
then people can pay their own way. We're taking that burden off of our off of our budget. That's what we need to look at. If we want to truly address our budget issues, our budget crisis at this point, if we're not dealing with a livable wage, we're not dealing with anything. I haven't heard somebody make an argument for demand side economics and maybe ever. So this is really exciting. What also, you, what do you mean by that? Uh, so what's been happening since basically the 80s is everybody says it's all supply side, which is to say uh, the way we improve the economy is by giving corporations money, by, by making it easier to do corporate stuff, by making it easier to start a company, by making it easier to get capital investment. Um, and the people will figure it out. Right. Demand side economics, which worked pretty well for a long time, um, Keynesian economics is what it's called in a lot of places, is the idea that like... Maybe if we make the regular people able to afford things, that'll lift the entire economy, which is what happens. Yes. So I, I love hearing that. I also like the way that you put it, that you're giving the corporation 40 hours of your life, which is absolutely what it is. And you feel it every hour of every day. So not being able to afford things at the end of that is completely unreasonable and ridiculous. Absolutely. And we also got to remember, we're not only talking about 40 hours. There are jobs when you're working these these low wage starvation wage jobs, mm -hmm. uh, you can give them 50 hours sometimes, 55 hours, and you can still qualify for some of these government Absolutely. assistance programs. That's corporate welfare. That's not welfare. Absolutely. That's like when Walmart back in the day, I think they've stopped, quote unquote, stopped now, but they used to hand you food stamp applications when you got the job during your like initial Whoa. orientation because they knew that. And so that's just another way to give corporations a ton of money, right? And you just slip it through the back door. Well, the basically. good news is... Uh with what they've done to snap, I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time be before these like social safety net, uh, healthcare and, and food scarcity programs just vanish altogether. So we, we better figure out some sort of decent fair wage system before then, because I, I don't think Walmart's going to have the snap program around to point people to forever. Correct. You know, and, and another one of my issues with this, framing of raising the minimum wage that mm -hmm. I have a problem with is in 1968, the minimum wage was the modern equivalent of $14 an hour. So at this point, we're not raising anything. We're returning yeah, the we're minimum wage exactly to what it was when the middle class worked for the people. Absolutely. So I was going to ask you, I'm going to steal a question from Jess here. Um, when you're elected, you're going to win. That's right. When you're elected, what is an issue that you care so passionately about you'd be willing to lose your seat for? That you're going to vote to make that happen regardless? Um, I'm so glad that we started out with this topic of a livable wage because mm -hmm. this is easily one of them. Um, when we look at a lot of the programs that we have in our state, whether it's you know, funding of after school programs, um, programs that help uh, low income residents, low income neighbors. Um, one of the issues that I have is that we're ignoring the single greatest resource that we have, and that's parents. Strong, solid parents, strong homes. When we have parents that are working two and three jobs to make ends meet, parents that aren't home with their kids, uh, teaching them, you know, the foundations of life to make sure that they can avoid some of these pitfalls that come up through adolescence, mm -hmm. through young adulthood and everything, then we're creating these surrogates. We're creating these programs that function as parents, that fill the gaps that 
parents are leaving behind because they're working so many jobs yeah, to make parents, ends meet. Parents got 55 hours a week and a hell commute. So, you know, I hope someone else figures it out. Exactly. And my thing is, why not take advantage of our greatest resource that's right up under our noses? Our parents, our families, our family units. So often the the other side, the Republican side, they try to grasp onto uh, this title of family values. There is no greater family value than a livable wage. Absolutely. What's a more important family value than actually being present because you're not working a dead-end job that never pays you enough? Exactly. Thank you. Absolutely. Homophobia. That's one of the big <laughs> family values. You know what? It sounded stupid coming out. Yeah. I think the left's right on this one. Living wage, probably the better family value. <laughs> Absolutely. I just It annoys me so much that the right always gets to quote family values when just brick by brick dismantling the home that the families are trying to build. Thank you. Exactly. I would say earlier you, you were talking about sort of like blemishes in criminal history and criminal record. Um, and I know I was looking at your campaign stuff um, and you had a really good bit about criminal justice and you were saying you want to rethink it as restorative, not punitive is what criminal justice should be, uh, which I love. But how do you how do you do that like at the local or state level? How do we change the system to be restorative, not punitive? So people don't get out and are stuck trying to report to probation officer and run to a job that that usually you can't even get because you've been in prison once or twice for minor crimes, right? Like, how do you, how do you fix that? You know, so often we look at, you know, we look at people as felons, you know, we want to tag people. No, that's my brother. That's my sister right there. You know, 94% of people in jail will be returning to our streets. Mm -hmm. What kind of pathway are we going to give them to be the productive neighbors, brothers and sisters that we want them to be, you know, um, when we look at criminal justice reform, I think that one of the things that I do is I try to proactively address this. So for years, I served as a teacher. For eight years, I served as a teacher in the community. I also serve on the unit board for the Boys and Girl, Claymont Boys and Girls Club. So with that being said, uh, Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to raise a child than it is to fix a broken man. So the first thing that I do is on the front end, being proactive, engaging the youth, mm. nurturing them before they get caught up in the criminal justice system. In regards to restorative uh, justice for for our uh, brothers and sisters that, you know, get get caught up, that that make a wrong turn. What are we doing to ensure that they have those opportunities to turn their life around? You know, mm -hmm. um, so we look at New Jersey and Rutgers University. They have a program where uh, our brothers and sisters that are incarcerated, they can get it, earn a college degree. They can earn, you know, skill sets, trades that can put them on that pathway to being successful once they come out. You know, it's not about you going into this revolving door of prison where when you come back out, because now you have that that blemish on your track record. Now it's so hard to get a good job. It's right. so hard to keep your nose clean that you end up falling back into the old ways. I remember this was maybe eight years ago. One of the one of my former students that I mentored. He was a good kid, but, you know, he made some wrong turns. It happens. So um, he told me that he had a job. He was a cook. He was doing good. But some of his old friends from the old neighborhood were trying to get him to run a caper, you know, break sliding into people's back windows when they're open. Mm 
Brett, you've been on several capers, right? <laughs> Many. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think he's got it. <laughs> and and he gave me a ring, and I gave him those words of encouragement that he's doing good. That yes, these low wage jobs aren't paying all the bills. That that you know he really is. He was genuinely tempted. And that's the thing. We have to make sure that those temptations aren't there. You can't ask somebody to put down a gun if they're not picking up a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't steal bread because it's really fun to steal bread, right? <laughs> it's steal you. it because they're hungry. <laughs> like, if, if your material conditions are leading you to prison, it's not like your material conditions are going to be easier and nicer when you get out. Right? The, the fact that we just run that revolving door, as you say, and then are shocked that people are just funneled right back in. I mean, it's in place to do that. Exactly. Systems create the outcomes they are designed to produce. When we look at our quote unquote correction system, mm-hmm. what exactly is it correcting? We need to change the narrative. We need to change this. It's not working out. It absolutely is not. That's why we need strong leadership in Dover that, that, comes from these communities that's engaged on a grassroots level with these communities that are going through these challenges. That's the only way we can find meaningful, sustainable solutions. Absolutely. Related to that, I had a uh, similar criminal justice question. So uh, we were talking a little bit before this, but the whole Northeast is confusing to me because every state is run top to bottom by Democrats. Every single elected official seems to agree that marijuana should be legal. It's not that big of a deal. The drug war has not worked. It's just destroyed communities and lives. And yet nothing has changed. Like we haven't managed to pass anything restorative. Uh, they haven't recreationalized it. They haven't expunged records. What is that something you'd vote for? And why is that still deadlocked? Why, why is no state in the Northeast able to figure this out? Our criminal justice system, sometimes referred to as the prison industrial complex, there's too much money involved. And one of the things that I think we need to do to really make sure we have legislators that are free thinking, that are coming up with real, true, meaningful solutions, Mm -hmm. is we need to also address campaign finance reform. There are a lot of fat cats that are in this game that are saying the nice things, saying all the pleasantries, but they're not doing the real work. They're not about change. Absolutely. There are too many politicians that are beholden to corporate PAC money, that are too beholden to corporate dollars, where when they get into office, that is where they vote. And it and it shows. So when you talk about um blue politicians, democratic states and everything. It's really about your voting record. It's really about your history, you know? Mm-hmm. And as long as we have people that have enough money to just buy campaigns and, you know, we have enough corporations that can then buy those politicians, we're not going to get anywhere. So you think for this specifically, it's one of those things where prison industrial complex is throwing around money and it's discouraging Democrats from doing the thing their communities are begging them to do? Absolutely. All you have to do is look at the campaign filing reports of these politicians. I mean, it's absolutely I'm not going to do that, scary. but ho- hopefully someone else I is have doing it. it. You guys are doing it? I've done that before. Good. It's, that sounds it's so very boring. depressing. Yeah, very depressing, you know? Yes. So, um, you know, when you look at any real big problem in America, it's very simple. Follow the money. That's all you got to do. Last year, when I ran for state representative in 2018, um, the incumbent announced his retirement. He was in office for a dozen years. Instantly, a guy with long money jumped in the race. 
the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. But the community, the local nonprofits, the local mom and pop businesses, the neighbors, they reached out to me and they said, Larry, we don't even know this guy. Have you ever considered running? You've been doing the work. We trust you. We know you. And for me, I've always been prepared to serve my community at a higher capacity, but I never specifically thought about that pathway. So I did my due diligence. Mm -hmm. I took the temperature of the community and one of my neighbors stepped up and said, Larry, I'll be your campaign treasurer. Another neighbor stepped up and said, Larry, I'll be your campaign manager. And the rest was history. We were in a five-way primary. 16,000 people in the district, 8,000 registered Dems, and we came up 86 votes shy of knocking off big money. That's the grassroots way. Our campaign, we had to raise money simply to run. It's $900 just to file for office. Again, campaign finance reform, you know? It costs almost a grand just to file to run. (laughs) That's a lot of money in my community. Yeah, but there is another community out there a shadow community, the the community of elites, where that's not a lot of money at all. They can find that money in their couch cushions, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is about real people doing their real work. I'm a community organizer. Yes, I worked in corporate banking for nine years, but that's because I'm a resident of Delaware and it's the only gig (laughs) in town that pays. (laughs) You know, my my real work starts at the end of the day. When I'm back engaging the youth, engaging the kids, when I'm volunteering at the Brandywine Senior Center, that's what it's about. That's why I'm running for office, and that's why I need you to vote for me on Tuesday, September 15th, 2020, Larry Lambert for state representative. I feel like you just need a mic drop and walk out. That was great. (laughs) At Larry for Delaware, Twitter.com. That's right. Larry for Delaware.com. That's F-O-R. Oh, I thought we were going to spell the whole word Delaware again like Rob did. What's that? I, I, was, I thought he was going to try to spell Delaware again, but I think he got it once and we're not going to do I that I learned twice. my lesson. I can, I can spell this state now. I don't have to prove it to anybody. That's Delaware. D-E-L-A-W-A-R-A. See how smooth that was compared to Rob earlier? Yeah, well, I'm not trying to compete with this guy. Larry's been here longer than me. I've been here for 25 minutes. <laughs> Education is important, boys and girls. That's why I went to the Florida State University. And I can barely spell. (laughs) As you see in the previous segment. (laughs) Spell good enough. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Is there anything you want to talk about in particular? Oh, uh, the the pleasure's all mine. I want to let anyone out there know, if you are interested in joining this campaign, Mm -hmm. this grassroots campaign for the people, by the people, again, go to LarryFordDelaware.com. You can also email me at info at LarryFordDelaware.com. We really need your support when it comes to donations, when it comes to volunteers. We have a lot of momentum out there, Mm -hmm. a lot of good energy. We are doing positive things. We are making an impact out there. However, if all of you out there do the same thing you did last time, we will come 86 votes shy again. (laughs) That is true. Help us to be able to wrestle up 87 people. Come on, guys. Come on, baby. We can wrestle this up. (laughs) We will will get those votes. And we're we're going for the win. And we really do need to make a change in Delaware, a change in America, and we're going to do it together. Now's the time to do it. 2020 is the time. 2020, get involved. This this is is the groundswell. It has to be this. You're not getting another one for a while. This is is the big one. Pull out all the stops, y'all. All right. Thank you, Larry. Thank you.
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, once again, that's Jess Grain for Senate, Larry Lambert for State Representative, and Medino Wilson Anton for State Representative in the state of Delaware. The links to donate are in the show notes. Um, I've also tweeted them out from the show account at Dumb Awful Show, so you can find them there. You can find each candidate's website if you want to dig more into their issues. Jess is at jess4delaware.com. Medina is at medinafordelaware.com. And Larry's at larryfordelaware.com. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Check them all out. We will be pushing this more as we go because, again, you can have an outsized impact in Delaware. This is one of those where a small group can actually make a large impact. So it's sort of ideal to push uh, for progressive candidates in this state. So thanks again for listening. Uh, If you haven't checked us out on Discord, come join us, come chat with us. We also have bonus episodes on Patreon along with the opportunity to, for instance, last month, uh, get cookies sent to you if you're a patron and you are one of the three that get randomly chosen or up up until January 5th, Nathan from Mark's Madness is accepting suggestions for what book he should read and review on our next books episode. So check that out. And thanks for listening, y'all. Have a good one.